It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And we joint crossover podcast with Eric G. Locked on Thunder. How are you, Eric? Fantastic, man. It was a historic night here in Oklahoma City last night. We may have seen Nick Collison's last game. And Paul George had his best game as a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder. was completely overshadowed by two other guys. And I think the Thunder might, might might actually be ready for the playoffs. All right, so the question I asked in numerous other podcasts this year uh, to Kevin Pelton and others are, are the Thunder good? I guess the question to be asked now is, is this the best the Thunder have been? Probably. And the reason I say probably is I think you could go back in, in December and it towards the end of December it looked like they were about to click and they had finally – started figuring out what everybody's role was. And then January came around and they fell back to the pack and they just seemed to struggle with inconsistency all year long. But at least at this point in the season, not only is Russell Westbrook being Russell Westbrook, but they're finally getting some consistent play off the bench with Jeremy Grant, Raymond Felton, and Patrick Patterson. And I got to say, Felton's been consistent all year long. But the other two guys have come along lately, so that it, it's a probably. It's not a definite 100%, but it's a probably because I don't know if all this maintains once they get started Sunday against Utah. If anything, so if the big picture is that they're better, what changed? I think it's just these guys getting used to playing with each other, which is – that's been the excuse all year long from the Thunder is – Guys couldn't figure out their role. They didn't have a summer to play together. They didn't have, you know, they, they only got to know each other during training camp. You can't really build a team then. Well, you've got 82 games. And the three guys we're talking about are seasoned veterans. They should have been able to figure it out long before now. I think Paul George was very uncomfortable because he became a catch-and-shoot guy. Carmelo Anthony, I don't know if he was so much uncomfortable. He's just older. And he's not as effective as he used to be. So it came down to Russ and PG and Russ having to figure out how much he needed to defer to both of these guys. And I think finally Russ just went Russ and PG had to figure out how to fit in with that. If I told you I didn't buy that and I just think that they are, this is who they are and that they have two high volume inefficient scorers. And so this is who they are. They're 48 win team. They're good. They're not great, despite the names, because they have two inefficient scores. What would you say to that? I'm not buying that. And the reason I'm not buying that is because these guys are too good to be as inefficient as they were all year long. And what's kind of worried me about this team is they've also seemed to live by this mantra of wait till the playoffs. Carmelo Anthony was echoing those sentiments a a couple of days ago. Well, if that's what you're going to live by, now you've got to show us. And, and I, I'm sorry, but you're just, they're too talented, too good to be as, 
up and down as they were all season season long. The other thing I like about them coming into the playoffs is because they are a veteran-laden team, and not just with those three guys. I think that gives them a, a bit of an advantage over Utah. And honestly, when I look at them uh, up and down through the West, the only team I don't think they can play with in the entire Western Conference is the Portland Trailblazers. Everyone else, I think at worst, they, they give them a heck of a series. So a sign that maybe they've gotten better is that post-All-Star break in clutch play, they're 11-6, and 10th in the league offensively, 10th in the league defensively. Pre-All-Star break, they were poor in clutch situations. They, I think, were, again, right about 10th offensively. Uh, actually, they're 15th offensively pre-All-Star break, but defensively, they were 26th in the league uh, in clutch situations. Is that a sign? And they're 13 and 16 overall. It, is that late-game defense being better, even without Andre Robertson, a sign of them getting better, or did Billy change how he was using guys? Yeah, I think it's just it's just getting better and learning how to play without Andre Robertson. They relied on him so much, and the great thing for Andre is, is people who follow the NBA and may have sort of dismissed Andre Robertson and what his meaning meaning was for this team finally got to see how big big a part of it is he is. The the other thing that that happened was is you bring in a guy like Corey Brewer who is not the defensive juggernaut that an Andre Robertson is but certainly helps on the offensive end and can play defense as well. Plus Paul George. Paul George, we all know that he's a good defensive player. He's gotten better uh, here over these last few weeks. It's just, it, it's been, as, as sickening as it's going to sound, it's just been an, an 82-game growing process for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I think, unfortunately, for fans, they're not a finished product and probably won't be that quote-unquote finished product unless these guys stay together one more year. And I'm thinking January at the earliest of next season is might when you might be able to call them a finished product. Yeah, that's if they stay together. You're unfazed by the fact that the Jazz have won 29 and lost six. I'm... I'm unfazed because the playoffs are a completely different monster, as cliche as that sounds. And the one thing that I know about Russell Westbrook and Steven Adams, for sure, and I'm about to find out with Carmelo Anthony, who has not been in the playoffs in five years, but I think you could throw Paul George into this category, is the stage just doesn't get too big for them. They know how to perform on the biggest stages. There's I, this team has always had this this quiet confidence about them. I think you could even chalk it up to overconfidence. But they will come in. I don't think there's anybody in this division that scares them outside of Portland, which I mentioned, just because I think the Blazers are, are in the Thunder's head, having swept them this year. Uh, the one guy that, that worries me, the, the guy that there's two guys that worry me on the Jazz. I worry about Rudy Gobert and whether or not he can get the best of Steven Adams, but I think Adams can play physical and get under Gobert's skin. And then there's Donovan Mitchell. I don't know that there's anybody on the Thunder that can guard this guy. And I imagine him to put – I would think that he's going to put up a a, a ton of points in this game. But the experience where these guys were last year without Kevin Durant and they still finished sixth in the West, I just – this seems like they're, I mean, this seems like their time of year is the postseason where things slow down a little bit and have a tendency to get more physical. 
I'm just playing devil's advocate for the sake of the conversation. So no stage gets too big for Russell Westbrook, who shot 39% for the field last year in the playoffs and 26% from three, who had an effective field goal percentage of 43%, which would have been the worst offensive player in all of the NBA last year, whose career in the playoffs is a 41% field goal, 29% for three, and a 44.6% effective field goal percentage. Isn't there actually a chance that Russell Westbrook's game is so unique that in the regular season teams aren't prepared for it, but that his weaknesses get accentuated in the playoffs? I don't think it's so much – I wouldn't call it necessarily a weakness with Russell. The thing that Russell does so well is you can, you can throw out the stats once it comes to clutch time. And, and I'll be the first to say, I hate Russell Westbrook shooting from beyond the arc. I don't want him shooting from beyond the arc until it gets to the last few minutes of the game. And for some reason, Russ has a knack for making them then. The other thing I like about this team team this year is now that Russell Westbrook has two proven three-point shooters, and I, I'm, I understand that I'm almost saying this looking up to heaven, praying that Russell Westbrook is hearing exactly what I'm saying, you can defer and pass to them. You don't have to be the complete total clutch guy. And I don't think he ever used Kevin Durant as a crutch. Um, I think he got used to playing without Kevin Durant, but I think he knows now what it's like having two guys on his side that you can dish out to, or at least I hope he does. And I think that that's going to, that's going to help Russell Westbrook. Plus I'm anxious to see how healthy a guy like Steven Adams is in the playoffs in last year. I don't think Adams was healthy, but this year I think he is. And he's a guy I look to be huge huge coming up in this series with Utah if the Thunder are going to win. We'll dig more into Steven Adams' role with the Rudy Gobert matchup. We'll talk a little bit more about what happens when the Thunder have the ball. We'll talk a little bit more what happens when the Jazz uh, have the ball as well. By the way, I just want to point out one note just because I like numbers and I happen to note prepared for this. Russell Westbrook in the clutch in the playoffs 30% shooter over the last two years, 1 of 17 from 3 and for his career, 6 of 53 from 3 in the clutch time in the playoffs. Just a note. All right, everyone's calling me a Westbrook hater. That's not true. I can't wait to watch him. He's incredible. His energy level he plays with is beyond reason. It's absolutely superhuman. Those are just facts. All right, let's turn to the Thunder with the basketball as the first way to look at this. Thunder come into this matchup uh, as a as I think I'm I actually don't have it in front of me a middle of the pack offensive team the Jazz ended the season one spot off the number one defense or point one off the number one defense in the league the uh, the Boston Celtics regained that on the last night of the year the Thunder finished seventh actually by the end of the year offensively credit to them according to basketball reference they're top 10 in both uh Last year in the playoffs, Russell Westbrook brought the ball up the floor, same spot, almost every time. Opponent dug in. There wasn't a lot of variation. Is there variation in this offense this year? Uh, there's a little bit more variation uh, this year just because you've got more weapons. And it's not even – you're going to see this, the starting five is going to play a lot like it did last year. Although – and I don't expect it – I look, I don't expect to see another game like we had last night where Russell Westbrook just concentrates on rebounding and Paul George gets a shot. But 
you've got guys that can go for multiple points this year. I think the other thing that we're seeing this year is the Steven Adams, Russell Westbrook connection has gotten a lot more effective. And that's the nice little thing that Billy Donovan has in his back pocket. And that's continuing to see Russell Westbrook go to Steven Adams, especially earlier in the game, get him going in the paint. And then you sort of see the thunder work kind of inside out at times. Now, last night, I think, was a bit of an anomaly. They shot more from three than they did from two. I don't expect to see that in the playoffs. Um, the other thing offensively you got to watch out for the Thunder is Billy Donovan likes to mix and match. So you're going to see Paul George. And I'm interested to see this. Is he going to play Paul George for the entire 12 minutes of the first quarter like he has been and bleed him over a little bit into the second? Or are you going to see guys come off the bench a lot earlier, and a combination that I love seeing out on the floor is when Raymond Felton runs the point. Love watching Raymond Felton run the point. Russ be able to kind of play the two and just be a guy that can get fed. And if you can get Raymond Felton, PG, and Russ on the court at the same time, I think the Thunder are very hard to defend. So Jazz start favors and Gobert. Crowder comes in when they go small. How often are the Thunder playing Paul George or someone other than Carmelo at the four, and who is it? who is playing that four? Well, Patrick Patterson uh, will come off and play the four. He will play the three. The Thunder have got, the Thunder have got two guys, in, not only in Patterson, but in Jeremy Grant, who is very versatile as well. You can see Grant play the four. You can see Grant play the five. And Grant is another one of those guys who is key to the Oklahoma City Thunder making a run. He has been just tremendous down the stretch. Uh, this guy can go inside. He's got a nice outside shot. He can play defense. He's really an all-around player and a guy who's going to be who's an unrestricted free agent at, at the end of the year. So you're going to see him come in, and you know I'm like Billy Donovan. I, I'm a big believer in positionless basketball and watching guys be versatile. And the, the Thunder do have some, some guys that, that can play that, um, especially with Patterson and, and Grant. I think you can mix and match both of those guys, and they give you some size and some athletic ability. So the Thunder had a great offensive year, being a top 10 offensive team. But to me, it seems the game plan is very clear. Now, whether you can get it done or not is not maybe. But if you look at the Thunder and you look at them early shot clock, so 18 to 22, this is the early transition. They had the fifth most amount of possessions, 18% of their possessions in that circumstance, and they were a middle-of-the-pack effective field goal percentage team. But those are great possessions to get. One notch off that where you go to 15 to 18, they slow down a little bit. They get about the 10th most of anyone in the league, but they're, and they're right in the middle of the pack of, uh, of the, some of the better. I think they're actually they slide a little bit to about 20th in efficiency. But, again, good time to get shots, high efficient. Middle of the shot clock, we're now in extended range, 7 to 15. And now, all of a sudden, this is where the Jazz use almost all of their possessions. The Thunder aren't using as many of their possessions. They actually use the fewest amount of possessions of any team in the league between 7 and 15, and the Jazz use the most, which is a kind of interesting contrast. And when the Thunder do use those, they're in the middle of the pack. But here's where it gets interesting. <clears throat> when you go to 4 to 7 seconds on the shot clock, the Jazz use the second most in the league. Thunder are down in the bottom five, but most noticeably is the Thunder are the worst team in the NBA in that time frame. And from 0 to 4 on the shot clock, they're not particularly good either. They shoot 39% effective field goal percentage, or I think they're the sixth worst. Have teams been able to consistently get the thunder in the last seven seconds of the shot clock? 
Uh, they were at the beginning of the year, not so much as you've seen in the the latter half of, of this season. The Thunder have been a lot more effective in in those situations, and I think it just I, and I don't know what to chalk it up to other than just the season going on and them just getting a little bit better. And that's one thing I was very curious about coming into this. Um, I, th- I think it, I think we're looking at a series where you're going to see these two teams really push each other and the Thunder are going to be, the Thunder are going to be tested in this series. And I think for a lot of people, I just want to ask you real quick, did the Jazz catch people off guard this year? Because after losing Gordon Hayward, I think a lot of people expected the Jazz to take a step back and this team has been I, this team's been better than most people expected. I think the other thing with the Jazz is that um, you still got so many good players on this team that you can lose a guy like Hayward, and they're still they're still pretty cohesive. Well, I think when we're talking about this side of the ball, this is where people don't give a lot of value in the league. I, I don't think people talk about defense; they talk about offense. Um, and the Jazz both have a very astute defensive structure with their head coach, Quinn Snyder, and they have the best defensive player in the league in Rudy Gobert. So when you put those two things together, that then I think the Jazz turn out to be defensively far better than anyone realizes. It, they, they're the number one defensive team in the league since the middle of January by a, a huge margin. Um, and they interestingly have been good defensively both with – Rudy Gobert on and off the floor. Part of that is because the Jazz play what I would call smart defense. So the Jazz allow the second fewest amount of shots in the restricted area in the three-point range. They allow the sixth fewest threes and the fourth fewest corner threes of anyone in the league. And so they just have you shooting not particularly efficient shots. This is, from a coaching standpoint, I almost want to give the edge to the Jazz in this one and give the edge to Quinn Snyder because I think he's a better X's and O's guy than what Billy Donovan is. I think where Billy Donovan's forte is trying to mix and match based on the personnel that that, that happen to be on the floor at the same time. See, this is where the matchup gets interesting to me. Westbrook shoots 33% in the paint non-restricted and 40% in the mid-range and 29% on an above-the-break three. So that if you, if the Jazz can get back defensively, keep Westbrook out of that first seven seconds of the shot clock, he's he's unbelievable to get there. I mean, it's a, this is not an easy task. Now you have Gobert in the middle. Now you've got Russell playing not particularly efficient basketball. Paul George is a 33% mid-range shooter. Carmelo is a 39% mid-range shooter. You you now have them into an inefficient way to play the game, and I think Quinn Snyder can put him in the it put him in those positions. But I also think at the same time, when you've got that many guys to guard, and and the other thing I like about the Thunder is you've also depending on Corey now depending on Corey Brewer because he sprained his knee last night, his health. It's one more guy that the, that the Jazz are going to have to account for on the floor. I like the fact that there's there's everybody in that starting five can score, which is not something that the Thunder have had. Wow. I mean, I don't remember the last time the Thunder had it, because they certainly didn't have it when Durant was here, because you were starting Andre Robertson 
in his in his last couple of seasons. But it seems like on the perception wise with Oklahoma City is that there are more weapons now than what they've had in a few years, and I think they can at least keep Utah on their toes and spread the ball around and spread it out a little bit more than, than what they've done in the past. I don't think you will see the ball get sticky. The other thing is, is I also think some of these guys, especially like Corey Brewer, move pretty well without the ball to get themselves open. Interesting to keep an eye on the Jazz defense allows teams, as I mentioned, the fifth fewest amount of shots in the restricted area because of Gobert's presence. Thunder take the sixth most. So when the Thunder have the ball, their ability to get on the rim, and I think their ability to shoot in the first seven seconds of shot clock is probably the key to this series. And it's probably those two are mutually exclusive. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need indeed. Ability to get on the rim early in the shot clock before Gobert gets set. We'll flip it and look at the Jazz with them on the offensive end next. Breaking news out of New York today. The Knicks have decided to part ways with head coach Jeff Hornacek to the surprise of absolutely no one. He was picked by former president of basketball operations Phil Jackson And with his final year of his contract coming up, there was a deafening silence out of Madison Square Garden about his future. The question you might be asking yourself is, is it fair? Did he deserve it? That might be a little bit existential. Does anyone deserve anything? But if you're asking yourself, does this make sense for the New York Knicks as an organization in order to maximize their success going forward? I would say absolutely it does. Jeff Hornacek, unfortunately was not the guy to get them where they need to be. If you want to know why, I'll give you a couple of reasons. First of all, the Knicks ranked in the very bottom of the league in three-pointers attempted and in three-pointers allowed. It was almost as if Jeff Hornacek was unaware of trends in basketball in 2018. When asked to explain why the Knicks lead the league in mid-range shot this season, he gave a truly baffling response that relied on math that didn't have any bearing on reality. It was truly disappointing. He had bizarre explanations for his questionable rotation decisions. At one point, he said Frank Nilakina, their rookie defensive stud, would not be starting because he would have trouble chasing the immortal Jody Meeks around screens. Interesting. KP's development stalled after a gangbusters first month, and Jeff Hornacek did little schematically to help him adjust to the added attention of being the Knicks' number one offensive option. His in-game adjustments left a lot to be desired, and he had question marks around his player relationships. Most famously this year, he got into a, what some people termed, near-physical fight with Joakim Noah, which made the Knicks have to send him home for the rest of the season. KP allegedly skipped his exit meeting last year, at least in part because of a frosty relationship with Jeff Hornacek. Is he the worst coach to ever be in the NBA? No, of course not. But in a league where every little advantage needs to be maximized, 
Jeff Hornacek was simply not getting it done. This is James Marcita for Locked On Knicks, signing off. All right, despite Carmelo Anthony's lack of defensive prowess, this turned out to be a pretty good defensive basketball team this year. The Thunder, uh, as we mentioned earlier, top 10 in both offense and in defense. Ninth they finished, according to basketball reference. How are they maintaining that defensive presence despite having a weak link or two? And uh, they have not been that good since Andre Robertson got hurt, so maybe they really aren't. What's your thought on that, Eric? Oh, I think they've gotten better since Andre Robertson's been hurt, but they're certainly not the defensive team that they were. I think you added a guy like Corey Brewer. That certainly helped. Uh, Paul George has helped this year. Paul George has been tremendous uh, on the defensive end this year. But Patrick Patterson, man, I can't I can't say enough about Jeremy Grant and the all around player that he's become. You just you're, you've got a lot of guys that that have at least stepped up and it took him a while to kind of, to kind of get into that role, but Billy Donovan pushed and worked on it for, for the most part of the season. And I know that that's something that the Thunder emphasized. I think it is interesting to say though, and you know, we haven't talked about this much. It's about how great some defensive teams are, and particularly the jazz in the NBA. I agree with Billy Donovan when he says that this is a league is set up. So offense, supersedes defense in this league. So no matter how great a defensive team is coming in to play the Oklahoma City Thunder, I will always take the offensive team or the more offensive proficient team over the more defensive proficient team, at least in the NBA. Well, I mean, that's the series. That, that's, that's what will be the story of the series. The Jazz, who since the middle of December are five points better defensively than anyone else in the NBA per 100 possessions, can they – put their defensive will on the Thunder in a way that, you know, I mean, the, the the Thunder are statistically very good offensively and very good defensively. The only elite side of the basketball here is the Jazz defense, right? Like elite being yeah. top five. The Jazz defense is top five. The Thunder offense is, and defense is top ten, which is very good. It's, it's top 30% of the league. It's very good. And then the Jazz offense is average. I think it's right on. I think they finished fifteenth. So you have it's an interesting mix, right? You have two very good units on the Thunder. You have an average unit on the Jazz, and you have an elite level on the Jazz. And the question, a little bit, is whether or not the Jazz elite level can slow down a lot. And then the question on the Jazz end of things is, can they find offense in a in a in a playoff series? So there's the uniqueness to the Jazz, Eric, is they run more picks and handoffs. Than any team in the league by by a by a tremendous amount actually, um, the Jazz will run on average their opponents off 127 interchanges a night. In contrast, the Thunder will run you off 89. So I mean that's a huge 100. The next the second most in the league is Chicago at 109. So the Jazz run 18 more, about 15% more than anyone else in the league, and they run about 30% more interchanges than anyone, than the average team in the league. How do the Thunder deal with that? Um, just gonna, you're you're going to have to, one, you're going to have to be careful on your switches. I, I think you're going to have to constantly make sure that guy, guys are switching at the right time. I think the other thing with the Thunder is, you can't 
and, and this is the one thing. This is the one thing that the Thunder are going to have to be very careful of. Is I think it's easy to draw some guys out of position defensively, especially Stephen Adams uh, on defense. And I'm interested to see if the Jazz do that. But a, but as things are moving around, that's how San Antonio was able to kind of cut them up a, a few years ago in the playoffs. But that was under Scott Brooks. I think now the Thunder are just going to have to constantly just have their best defensive players in position to make sure that Utah's best offensive players are covered. I know that that's like, you know, just awesome analysis right there. Um, It's it's a major concern for Oklahoma City, and I I don't know that you can necessarily slow all that down. You just may have to go with the philosophy of outscoring them. And then the question is defensively. The Thunder's defense – I think I understand conceptually why Stephen Adams plays up at the screen. Allow the, I believe they allow the uh, third most. They're twenty eighth in the league at denying the three, and they're last in the league at denying the corner three. Has that come back to bite them at all? No, all all the time. Uh, the other thing you did you didn't mention in there, and I don't know what the stats are on this, but the Thunder do a horrible job of fouling guys while shooting the three. Um, if I had to guess right now, I think the Thunder would be responsible for more four-point plays than anybody else in the NBA and, and more guys going to the line shooting three than, than anyone else. But, yeah, it's going to come back and bite them. I mean, we see the open shot all the time here in, in, in Oklahoma City. And, you know, when you got a guy like Joe Ingles, who's had a fantastic year. Um, we've already mentioned Donovan Mitchell. I would be surprised if both of those guys didn't torch Oklahoma City in the in, in the vast majority of the games that are going to be played here over the, over the next few nights. Just would be be shocked about it, and I think that's something that Thunder fans have come to expect is that certain guys are going to get off against them, and the Thunder just have enough offensive firepower to overcome it. So the Jazz will get three point looks. Is, that's an interesting concept. Like, if you've conceded that, that's, that's interesting. Because if the Jazz make shots, which, okay, intuitively obvious, their defense, though, they, if they have an average offensive night, they have not lost in a long time. They've, only lost, they've lost one game in the last 35 in which they had an offensive rating over 100. 100's terrible, for those who don't know offensive rating. League average is 107. 101 is the best defensive team in the league. If the Jazz offensive rating's been over 100, which is just one point of possession, they've won every game but one in the last 35. I think the other thing with Oklahoma City, I mean, when you talk about them defensively, is they got to play physical. Um, and I thought two years ago, not not last year. I mean, last year you were – you were one and done with with the Houston Rockets. But two years ago against the Dallas Mavericks, the Mavericks decided to beat them up and got a game here in Oklahoma City before the Thunder went on to beat, to win the next three. The other thing the Thunder are going to have to do, they're going to have to go back to playing physical. They're going to have to muddy the waters in this game and, and not allow not allow Utah to get as many of those open looks as they did. And, and you kind of wonder, can the Thunder be different from the pre from the regular season to the postseason, can can they be a completely 
different team. They certainly talk a good game. They certainly say that they understand what is at stake here. I want to see them go out and, and execute that. And sure. guys like Grant, Adams, Patterson, and um, Paul George, you know, you, you got you to take your cue from there. I mean, you're going to have to play rough, I think, in order to win this series. Eric, this is a great point, and I find this the most fascinating part about the storylines coming into the series. So, unquestionably, the viewpoint is that the Thunder are a team that were made for the playoffs. We've heard that all year. That the Thunder have a ceiling that they can go to that they haven't gone yet, right? Right. And that they've got another gear. That's what they say. And and all those things may turn out to be true, right? Like, I'm not disputing any of them. What I think. Well, that's 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 what the that's what the Thunder say. I mean, we haven't seen it in the postseason yet. I mean, let's let's be honest. I think most Oklahoma City fans are kind of waiting. They're fired up. I mean, yeah, it's the playoffs and everybody's excited, but I also think there's the wait and see mode that everybody else is in. Here's what's fascinating to me about this: the Jazz have hit that ceiling, and everyone thinks they can't do it in the playoffs. I, I again, I don't know, right? But the Jazz just won 29 of 34 games. That's the ceiling that everybody was waiting for the Thunder to hit, right? To go to go run off twenty nine of thirty four. The Jazz and, just, and, and 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 it never happened, right? The it, Jazz, it just, the Jazz are the ones that just did it. And yet, if you listen to anyone talking about the series, the feeling is well, but that, but that, but they're not, they're not, they can't do it in the playoff. The Thunder are a playoff team. I don't know if anyone's right yet, right? I don't, I don't know. I'm not saying that I think this is absurd. I'm not saying I think it's wrong. I think that's what people are saying. Experts, people who know what they're talking about. And I think it's interesting. And we're going to find out whether or not is there any importance to having already hit that ceiling and having or or do you just flip the switch and go hit it when you want to? Yeah, that that whole flip the switch thing. That's so, it's so funny you mentioned that because Carmelo Anthony says, yes, you can flip a switch. And certainly those sentiments are echoed by other members on the Thunder. Paul George doesn't agree with that. Paul George thinks you need to be playing your best going into the playoffs. So I think it's been an advantage for the Thunder as you've had. Now you put yourself there. Well, let's be real honest. The Thunder put themselves in that situation. The Thunder put themselves in a situation where they had to win these last few games to, one, get into the playoffs, and two, for, for seeding purposes. Um, that... I think championship teams. If you want to, if you want to just go with that cliche, I think championship teams can flip a switch. I think Golden State can flip a switch. I think Cleveland can flip a switch. I don't know that Oklahoma City can. I, I, I don't. I, if Durant were still here, look. If it was still that configure the configuration of that team that blew the three to one lead to GSW. Maybe because I saw them do it because they played subpar regular season and great in the postseason up until they they collapsed. Maybe I could buy into it. I'm call me a skeptic on this one. I you know I think there's a lot of things that that line up in the Thunder favor. But if you were going to ask me if I was going to go put money on this series, I wouldn't touch it with a hundred foot pole because I just don't know what the Thunder are going to give you. I, and I think it would be irresponsible of me to just go, oh, yeah, they're going to be this <laughs> once they play the Jazz. Because I can't, I can't tell you for sure. They've been so schizophrenic all season long. 
with Andre. Final final access to those question on this preview. Great, great. Hopefully, Locked on Thunder people enjoyed it as well um, and interpreted my comments correctly. Um, Locked on Jazz people are used to my thought exercises. Um, so, Andre Roberts, uh, just, so everyone, just so you know, like when I thought the team was Russell Westbrook, Andre Robertson, Paul George, Jeremy Grant, and Steven Adams, I had them number two in the West to start the year. I thought that team was incredible. So, uh, Robertson's out. Defense has slipped. Um, in fact, some of the numbers are pretty alarming. Uh, when the starting five is on the floor with Ferguson, the defense is a 114, which would be worst in the NBA. When it's with Abrinas, it's a 114, which would be worst in the NBA. With Brewer, it's a 109. And with Robertson, it was under 100. Like, he's incredible. So, <clears throat> if Brewer is out... There's a real defensive issue, I think, for the Thunder. But specifically matchups, if they need to take one guy away, which Paul George can do, he'll just, he can eliminate someone, do they do it to Joe Ingles or they do it to Donovan Mitchell? Whew. Thank God I'm not Billy Donovan. I'd say Donovan Mitchell. I think, he, I think he's the more dynamic uh, of the two players. And he's the guy that you look to shut down. But by the same token, and I'm going to contradict myself here by saying this, Sometimes dynamic players, you just let them get theirs, and then maybe you shut down Joe Ingles, and you just live with the fact that Donovan Mitchell's going to do what he does, and you stick people, and you, and you just stick stick a guy on Joe Ingles, and, and don't let him get going from beyond the arc. Which seems like that that seems like the easier thing to do. Um, golly, man, uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, I, I, I say Donovan Mitchell's the one you'd want to shut down, but maybe you can feed and, and go with Joe Ingles. Here's what's so fascinating. These teams played four times. The last time was December 23rd. And I would say that those four matchups are completely irrelevant. 100% completely irrelevant. Andre Robertson played in all of them. Jay Crowder for the Jazz played in none of them. Rudy Gobert didn't play in two of them. The second one, one of which he did play in, he uh, was on a minute restriction. The third game of the year when the Jazz won was irrelevant because the Thunder didn't even know each other's names. It's, it's, in, it's so interesting that these two teams match up, and I don't think we have a data point from the four games of reference uh, to what matters. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how this plays out. Eric, I will see you on... Uh, Sunday, and I look forward to uh, spending some time with you this week. Sounds good. Thanks a lot for having me on, David, and I hope everybody at Locked on Thunder enjoyed you as much as I did. You are Locked on Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked on Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.